Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the extra sensitive secrecy sensor of Mangum Reads. We are three mm-hmm. muggles who have questions, have questions about charm-based talon clipping. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? Feeling perfectly ac- accurately read about my thoughts about this chapter. Well done. <laughs> I, have, I have questions about other things in this chapter, too, but I only have so much room in my intros. So a stellar we... intro, as always. Um, I mean, you know on the balance of the scales and all. Yeah, okay, well, so we have, we are on chapter 20 here of the fourth <laughs> book of Harry Potter, uh, the first task, and we have some segments that we do here. We have a rapid, rapid, rapid fire recap. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, we have uh, BJ's Wizard Wheezes, Newbie's Notes with Spencer, and we award house points, um, which I have just remembered as a thing we do. I was so focused on getting this recap done that I have not prepared that segment. Uh, We're here for we you. Have questions and queries and qualms and quibbles. It's a real laugh riot around here. Yeah, yeah. Starting with the ultimate laugh riot, uh, Sarah, you have a bit of a chapter here, like. More than a bit. Like, I don't understand of... why this was not two chapters. Like, this is very clearly two chapters. There was a moment in the center where there could just been an obvious, and then Harry went to the tournament. And then we move on to the next chapter. And would've Yes, but it would have had to been called something else. It would have had to been called something like, Mad-Eye Moody spoils <laughs> Harry for the first task. And that that's a weird chapter title. De- Deus Ex Moody, is that what we have going on here. As a result of that not happening, you've got probably one of the three longest chapters we've yet had in the series. Yeah. Do you and have I can a... barely contain my excitement. <laughs> BJ's di- directly gleeful. Do you have a guess? Do you have a bet? Or is it just two minutes hell or high water? I mean, you could guess like two minutes and 30 seconds just to try and <laughs> regain some just points. Just for pride. But... Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe that actually needs to be... Well, never mind. That's more complicated than I, I can barely remember the rules as it is. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, let's mm, I let's just I'm gonna try to hang on by the horn tail for this one and just see if I can get it under two minutes. Under two. We have a go. We have a stopwatch. We have a Sarah that is hopefully ready. Whenever you are. Listeners at home cannot see how much I have been rubbing my face in the past <laughs> the three stress, minutes. The stress. The stress. <laughs> The next morning, Harry is antsy to tell Hermione about the dragons and his confab with Sirius. A library trip reveals a lot of information about dragons, but not how to successfully survive one. Plus, Sirius had referenced a simple spell. Harry is in full-on panic mode as the first task approaches, but he does make a decision. Cedric has got to know about the dragons, too. He corners Cedric and gets caught by Moody, who takes him to his office, which is populated by all sorts of dark wizard catching shit, and Harry's sweating bullets. But Moody insists that cheating is a key part of the tournament and wants to know if he's got a plan for the dragons. His advice? Play to your strengths. Harry's mind goes understandable blank until he remembers he's a pretty good flyer. Harry immediately goes to Hermione to learn a summoning charm, which is all they do for approximately 24 hours. Harry masters Akio just in time for the first task. In the tent, the other champions are looking, aren't looking are looking super confident, but Bagman is having the time of his life. The instructions, champions will pull a, mo- a model dragon at random from a bag, and then they have to go out one by one to the stadium and get the golden egg. Harry, predictably, gets the Hungarian horntail. Bagman, all in on the cheating as normal, pulls Harry aside to see if he wants any advice. Harry doesn't. 
Then we get a truly terrifying sequence of Harry in the tent watching the other champions go through and hearing the crowd reactions and Bagman's commentary. Finally, it's Harry's turn and he walks out to face the Horntail who's fiercely protecting her eggs. He focuses enough to cast Accio Firebolt and has to wait an agonizingly long time to see if the broom will come all the way from the castle. Once he's in the air, it's just another slightly toothier Quidditch match. He goes higher and higher, uh, taunting the dragon until she's finally reached the end of her rope and he dives beneath her wings to snatch the egg and zoom towards the other end of the arena. The crowd is wild, Bagman is flabbergasted, and while Harry waits for his score, Hermione and Ron show up. Ron gives a non-apology apology. Harry is cold, but then it's over because they're 14-year-old boys. Ron debriefs him in, in the, on the other champions, but Ron convinces Harry to... Ron is convinced Harry did the best. But then in some 90s era figure skating scoring, Karkaroff gives him a four, which ties Harry for first with Crumb. They all go back to the champion's tent, where Bagman lets them know that the eggs hold the clue for the second task. Harry's feeling so good having Ron as a friend again that he's able to brush off Rita Skeeter. I mean, the stopwatch says I, just over two minutes. I think we got to give a rounding on that one, man. It's point zero six over. I am 100% not going to give her rounding on this hey. one, because there was... This was a short-shrifted summary. Well, BJ. I'm not saying it shouldn't be. I'm you're the one who made the goddamn rules. <laughs> I did make the goddamn rules, and the whole point was the earlier chapters were short. So you keep saying that like that's a thing, rules. but that's not actually a thing. I understand that the earlier chapters were shorter, but it was not done because the earlier chapters were shorter. What, do you, Spencer, what was it? It was done because the other cha earlier chapters were Anyway, it's fine. <laughs> It's fine. But what? You're the judge. What is your declaration here, Ben? This is two minutes, 0.6 seconds. Okay. Sorry, Sarah. You were so close. It was so close. See if I answer any questions for you later. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure I can come up with another uh, rant about something that, that will induce you to answer some questions, but we'll see. Uh, while Sarah debates BJ's murder, BJ, do you have some wizard, wizard wheezes for us? I do have wizard wheezes. Um, the first is a question for you, Spencer. How much did you sympathize with Harry trying to get dressed in the morning and having all sorts of trouble with his clothing? It is my very first note on Newbie's notes. Big feel. Big feel. Um, for those of you uh, who aren't familiar with the, the other podcasts and conversations that we've had, Spencer has interesting troubles with getting clothed in the morning due to many holes in, in his t-shirts not all being in the right places and other similar uh, qualms and quandaries with putting shoes on in the morning and other the eyes interesting about, things. My eyes open about halfway through the morning drive. Everything before that's just kind of a vague, mostly working by braille blur. And here we also have Harry wearing a hat as a sock, so this seems appropriate. Yes done that yes happened um so you know there's just a couple of things that are of particular amusement you know the secrecy sensor is pretty great uh the faux glass it, sort of all all those little objects were were quite entertaining um and this will probably be a little bit more my contributions in newbies notes but i just want to wheeze about moody x machina and the the hilariousness of how dense he is either coming to realize or realizes that Harry Potter is and is a bit dismayed by it. Um, and and then I wanted to comment on the Flutterby bush, which is a great thing because I'm presuming it is buying into the uh, presumably mistaken uh, etymology of butterfly being a metathesis of Flutterby 
And that being a very, very fun story, apparently, that a lot of uh, people that have a dabbling in English like to tell, but doesn't seem to be at all based in reality, much like the rest of J.K. Rowling's writings. Oh, oh. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, <laughs> uh, we can move on to Newbie's Notes. Like you said, Harry wearing a hat on his foot, I was just straight up gleeful to see me represented in the text. That, that's just so on point me, I was almost ready to demand royalties. But PJ, you're going to say um, something? I did. So I did have one other wheeze, which is sort of in newbie's notes. Um, and so before we get too far in, I wanted to comment on it. So, and it's a question for you, Sarah. What? So do you, do you think the reason that uh, Harry casts Akio Dictionary is because that is the most useful thing that Hermione can think of to cast Akio on, and that's what they've been doing the entire time. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They've been doing one thing. Well, you know, they might have started. I think it built up. I think it built up to the dictionary, especially if this is. I'd like to think this is the OED, and that's how yeah. they know that he's ready. They, so you start with periodicals and then end up. Yeah. Um, then you there, get a there sort there of abridged, abridged Merriam-Webster. There is an abridged OED that I, or I believe, is only one volume rather than like the twelve to fifteen that it usually ends up being. Yeah. Does it weigh as much as a Volvo? How can they fit all that? Uh. A small Volvo. <laughs> okay. I, I think the, the version that I have, which is an 80s or 70s version, is like 12 volumes, each like oh, yeah. it's three inches mm-hmm. thick, larger than most, about the size or slightly larger than most textbooks, and is like six to eight font. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's it's dense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, among the books that they were going through at the start, uh, Men Who Love Dragons Too Much... <laughs> requires further explanation. You can't just leave that one hanging, J.K. Rowling. And that's in the uh, Harry Potter After Dark section. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, there's probably a subreddit if you want to look it up. She just name-dropped that and kept going. It was just, nope, I'm done with this book. Unclear why that one's not in the restricted section. I don't know. (laughs) Um, It's a personal essay to Hagrid. (laughs) Uh, One interesting character read that kept on coming up, Hermione and Crumb. She is continually, what I'm increasingly interpreting as schoolyard pissed off at Crumb every time she sees him. Mm -hmm. I thought we started off earlier on with she has a little bit of a schoolyard crush on him. This is, yeah, I'm increasingly getting in favor of this theory, is that she's trying to write it off as that she's annoyed about his groupies, but it seems more like she's annoyed that she likes him and doesn't want to have to deal with it. I hard feel this moment from Hermione. (laughs) This is like my early high school self in a nutshell. Mm. Uh, Really, this chapter... I really like this chapter in a lot of ways, but one of the things I first liked about it is just how much it reminds me, as much as Harry pisses me off... He is a fundamentally good egg. When he yeah. goes and takes the time to tell Cedric in the most unnecessarily destructive way possible, <laughs> but still, uh, it is so telling on his character that when Cedric asks him why, he literally had never even pondered the idea of not telling him. Mm-hmm. He can't yeah. just conceptualize the idea of letting him go into this blind. Yes. And so as much as he can just be an unpleasant, self-absorbed dick, there is a fundamentally great core here that I need to recognize more. And so kudos to Harry on that. Also, but the way he did it is so perfect because it is the most basic, like, schoolyard bully thing. I'm going to knock his books and, and 
pens out of his hand and break all of it just to be like, oh, hey, here's a little bit of information. Bye. Well, it, it, the, the spell is Diffendo. Did I D- say that right? Diffendo, yeah. Diffendo. Uh, I, I'm full, I was fully willing to accept that Harry in no way intended this level of disastrous <laughs> after effects. Just didn't even ponder them. But the fact we don't get him showing any regret for it happening and him just being happy that about the result is still also revealing of a different side of Harry's character that we also can't forget about. And But it's not even like the prank side of, of you know, the twin Weasleys. This is no. just, I want, to be, I want to beat up on other people and terrorize them. No, no, no. This is... It's just a prank, bro. Anyway. He is self-absorbed, but also a good person. Those two can somehow pair. Yes. Uh, I'm sure that apparently in the minds of the students, the just now standard moody punishment is you are now a ferret. (laughs) (laughs) When Harry's thinking about what's going to happen if Moody punishes him, his just default response is, well, being a ferret might make the tournament easier. Sure. Okay. Let's go through it. Let's go with this. Otherwise, Moody's reaction is really interesting. This is a complex character that I really still don't have a, a firm hold on. Is that when he takes the time to tell Harry that that was a really good... What was, what was the word he uses? He's like, that was a really... Decent. Decent. Yeah. I like mm-hmm. that word choice. Mm-hmm. That was a really decent thing you did. Was that, that was in draft one of my summary. Yeah. <laughs> it got caught out. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such, Lots of things got caught. <laughs> it's such a good word choice because it's so honest. It is so... Like leg- expressing almost like a legitimate emotion coming from him about how he feels about this. Mm-hmm. It's, there's something flowery about it. There's no overdone kind of effect. It's just him just like nodding and saying under his breath, that was decent. And it almost makes it more heartfelt as a result. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting though to see, and BJ, this kind of buys into your theory, uh, that Moody is basically saying, you know, everybody cheats. His quote was, is that literally cheating is the traditional part of the tri- Triwizard Tournament, is a traditional part of the Triwizard Tournament. And he's like, ah, but Dumbledore doesn't cheat. But, you know, I'm here. I'm going to make sure it happens anyway. I'm perfectly willing to believe that Dumbledore hired Moody to do that. <laughs> <laughs> on top of being an R on grounds, top of protecting Harry, on top of giving the guy a job after he attacks some dustbins, I'm also willing to believe that he's perfectly willing to hire a guy to cheat for him, but not cheat himself. Because then again, I, it's a learning experience. He's getting the guy to decide what's important for him. It's getting him to make his own choices. I'm just setting up the cards. While still getting exactly what Dumbledore wants out of the equation. Uh, as you said, Sarah, the... Fun little tools that he just apparently hauls with him in the like most overgrown backpack possible mm-hmm. are just well, they're just fun. The secrecy <laughs> sensor, the sneakoscope, the faux glass. These are things that you buy from like you know, nineteen fifties detective novels about buy the tools <laughs> of the real detective and get them in through the mail kind of thing. Mm-hmm. They've got all of those names, but they also seem incredibly useful. The one that's really intimidating, though, and all the more so because it's not explained, it just looms in the corner, is that damn trunk. Is that there is a trunk in this room that Moody almost gleefully says, oh, if I see enemies in the faux glass, guess where they go? And everybody just stares at the trunk for a second with its seven locks on it. And then again, the conversation just goes on. No further explanation needed. Great looming foreboding object will not be described in further detail herein. (laughs) I have so, a feeling that some of those locks get uh, played with at some point later in this book. I, I'm guessing we're coming back to the trunk for the reason that we didn't fully address the trunk now. Uh, 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 BJ, as you said, Moody leading uh, Harry by the nose is adorable. It is very much, 
I need to teach this small, adorable creature that keeps pissing on the carpet where he needs to actually piss. It's not there. It's not there. It's on your broom, damn it. I'm not going to literally tell you that. I want you to understand this. I'm trying to be Socratic, Harry. Help me help you. And it doesn't work. Can you imagine the, just the like tenor of the silence of Moody waiting for him to try oh, to God. figure this out? I'm assuming this conversation and Harry's recounting of it was remarkably sped up. I'm I'm fully anticipating like three minute silences between remarks occurring here. I also sort of imagine Moody's magic eye like ticking off the seconds of the silence. Like <laughs> no, just... it's ro- tick, tick. By the end of the conversation, the magic eye is rolling so much it's just spinning in in, in its artificial <laughs> socket. <laughs> Um, but he eventually gets him where he needs to go, and I enjoy him helping. It's really interesting to see that Harry, with the exception of the first one, has a good relationship that keeps building with Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, even with even in such minutes, he doesn't really want it in the case of uh, Lockhart. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also like that in terms of this, this setup with uh, Hermione, this book is reiterating that Harry isn't good at everything. Harry isn't a universally skilled Mary Sue kind of protagonist. He has massive deficits. He has massive gray areas. And they're a problem that he has to actively work to solve. Mm-hmm. Now, he still gets good enough at this to save his life in a 24-hour period. Man's got some natural skill, but he also has a great teacher. And as he expresses, the looming threat of death can be a hell of a learning motivator. Yeah. Um So it's a very interesting uh, balance sort of the other way rather than having a Mary Mary Sue character. We have like the biggest, like the thickest plot armor that you've sort of ever seen on a character, (laughs) you know, that, you know, we also just get, you know, things handed to him to like, take this. uh, It's dangerous out there. Take this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, kind of thing. He's, if anything, falling into more classical tropes for a hero, going right. to like mytho- mythological mm-hmm. tropes for a hero in mm-hmm. terms of how he's working there, particularly in the idea that he's a, bit of a, he's a bit of tattered iron too. Harry's constantly getting hurt. None of his plans go off perfectly. The man, if he carried scars, would be a cat scratch post at this point in terms of the m- m- amount that he's acquired over the course of this series. But he still ultimately succeeds. Uh he Somewhere. sort of has the, the reverse of the Achilles heel kind of thing where his scar is like... <laughs> <laughs> the protective, powerful thing, and the rest of him just sort of like suffers. <laughs> it, 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 it's it, it's like there's it's like there's only there's only a limited number of space putting in a checkbox for scars, and he got one at age zero, and that's the max he's allowed to have from here on after. Um, similar thing I really enjoyed. I loved how terrified the other champions were. That was yes. so remarkably human. It would have been so easy to just frame these guys as just being omnipotent superhero kind of figures that are just yeah. utterly indifferent to these. No, they're like, how much older than that? They're 18, 17, 18? I think they're, like? yeah, 17 to 18. So they're, they're, I mean, they're still kids. They're older kids. They're, they're older teens. They're still mm-hmm. 100% terrified to be fighting dragons on very short notice. So I really liked how much this chapter focuses on how each of them desperately and kind of failing to cope with their circumstances and the horrible tension of waiting for that moment. I mean, she- but it was also interesting because, like, you got to see very quickly that there was a uh, everybody had a plan, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and you can either go with the contact with the enemy or punch in the face. But like, and see how they sort of skittered <laughs> into not not working real well. Um, after they actually encounter the dragons. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
one, one thing I have to give uh, Jake Rowling a lot of credit for this chapter is how perfectly she encapsulated that just kind of the feeling you have when you're waiting for the inevitable. That yeah. feeling yeah. of when you are about to give a speech, yeah. you're about to go into court, you're about to do a presentation, any kind of thing like that that is not part of your usual repertoire. It is just a stress moment. She perfectly hit a lot of the emotional notes that I go through and I've seen other people go through, particularly that feeling of detachment. Mm -hmm. That once it's truly inevitable, once you know you are marching to the guillotine, you get this weird kind of cold, out-of-body experience attached to it that I find very gratifying to happen. It's, it's a wonderful <laughs> thing what adrenaline can do to make you be able, be able to pull things off. Um, but I, I really kudos to her how much she built up that. She took her time with it, too. I liked yeah. that there were about four pages of waiting. Mm -hmm. And once we got the dragons, everything is... Harry doesn't go first. We don't yada yada necessarily through everybody else's experiences. We focus on Harry in the tent, increasingly alone, as he's trying to come to terms with what he views as his almost inevitable death. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's a long walk, and it's good that's a long walk, because that's meant to feel like a minute is an hour. And so, really well done here in terms of how she structured that and let that play out. I also like that once Harry gets there, once he's on the pitch, once he's actually in the element, it becomes known and he loses his fear. Because it was not, it was it being foreign, was it being unknown was the main terrifying thing. Once it's within a box he understands, it's just another day at Quidditch. And yeah. that is so accurate for how you can cope with those kind of situations. You put on the mask, you get going, and it happens. And, and also, like, I think it really speaks to the ability of, of pretty much everybody there, like, when they have the right tools. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, like, there is some marked success of everybody else to do, like, to pass this first trial. Mm-hmm. You know, mm -hmm. some better than others, but, like, they're playing to their strengths. And so, like, you know, not all of them had moody tell them exactly what their strength was and how to use it mm -hmm. but that it, that it will be fun to break these down here in a second because each one is very unique for each character they had completely different ways of solving this problem mm -hmm. um this, this moment also reveals probably one of harry's just ultimate heroic virtues is that when he's in his element when he feels that he can understand the situation and it's playing to his strengths the man is utterly fearless that he is the fact that a dragon is just breathing fire around him, he's getting struck with its tail, his cloak is getting singed, he's in front of a crowd of hundreds of people, some who are actively cheering for his demise. The way Jigarola plays it out of where it all just becomes background noise, all just white noise in the background, he's just utterly focused on the moment, it's greatly, it's greatly told in terms of a writing perspective, but it also is just very much representing that Harry is our protagonist and represents these kind of classical mythological tropes and principles, for mm -hmm. good reason. He mm -hmm. has those kind of just... Yep. The heroic willpower, the heroic determination, or in his case, bravery. He, I guess in many ways, this, he's... As much as we can say he, could, he should have been in House Slytherin, this just kind of heroic resolve screams Gryffindor. Yeah, he is yeah. at like his most Gryffindor. Peak Gryffindor mm -hmm. in this scene. It really is. It we, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> A Man, peak books. Gryffindor. <laughs> Thus far, peakest Gryffindor. Final book, Harry runs away. <laughs> no, uh, Harry, final book, Harry turns into a stake and, and steals everybody else's glory. Um, uh, but it, but it, I was going to say, I do think it's also interesting in some ways how 
like each style represents kind of like the different houses. Mm-hmm. Well, and schools to a certain degree too, I suppose. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just give me a couple notes, and I'm gonna get to that, get to where I've got that written down in here. Um, I fully share Madame Pomfroy's utter frustration with what the nature of this school is <laughs> and the increasingly dangerous creatures that keep hurting the students that she's sworn to protect. She is the <laughs> hardest working woman in I, all of Wizardom, I think. I mean, I, her just ranting. Last year it was Dementors. This year it's dragons. What comes next? I mean, like, of the things to happen, you give some students chocolate and they're basically fine. I feel like the, the noodly appendages when they when they <laughs> deboned Harry was was a little bit more... Well, she was what? pissed about that, too. Yeah. She is in a constant state of being pissed, and it's well-earned. What she has to endure in this... I feel like it's a common trope in media that the the doctor is just the most put-on character in whatever setting that they're in, just because they have to put up with everybody else's shit and shenanigans. See your other podcast, The Never's More Oh, yes, that... she, she is very much the bones of this story. Mm-hmm. I was going to uh, say it's a little bit turned on its head with House, but yes, I, like. <laughs> well, in most settings, the doctor isn't. The, most of these stories, the doctor isn't the main character. In that case, the doctor right. is gleeful at the experience because he's the protagonist. He's selecting this. Um, it, and so, there's a certain implication there that Cedric was not just mildly burned. Like the fact that I almost like that he's purposely being hidden from the audience for a large portion of his treatment is that. No, mm-hmm. this guy was charred. Mm-hmm. This guy was really seriously singed about this, adding yeah. to her just uttered <laughs> concerned fury that's coming into the situation <laughs> with. But it's also sort of an interesting reinforcement that we get pretty much every book now that uh, physical harm is kind of meaningless to wizards. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it's, it's The main way we know people can just die is by certain uber-powerful magical spells. That if you get hit with um, Killing Curse, what's the Killing Curse name again? Abracadabra. No. Avada Kedavra. Thank you. <laughs> not pointing at you anymore, BJ. <laughs> that, we know that can drop somebody. We know that can just kill someone in a way that can't be revived. But in terms yeah. of anything that you just literally immediately die from the effect of it, like looking at a basilisk eyes or whatever else, uh, you, <laughs> Madame Pomfora is there to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as much as I get frustrated, these two chuckleheads, Harry and Ron making up was heartwarming. It was, I'm with, I was there with Hermione just kind of being sobby. It's like, you two are such damn idiots and I love you anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, it, I mean, it also was just heartwarming from my perspective, too, because I, uh, in Hermione's shoes, the number of times I've seen two friends just outright angry and hating each other and then patch things up, a lot more rare than the times I've seen them never talk again and me being forced to pick sides or try to manage that kind of type of walk. Yeah. So I am glad whenever I see that in any setting, be even if it's in fantasy. Uh, okay, BJ, way, way they went about solving the dragons. We get four different ways, Harry, Broom, sure, but... Uh, the other ones are, if I got it correctly, transfigurated rock into dog. Mm-hmm. I th- feel like you would have liked this one. Uh, well, it was the Hufflepuff way, so sure. Uh, <laughs> Give him a snack. A sleep trance, yeah. A sleep trance kind of charm, as done by Fleur Delacour. Yep. Uh, and then shot in the damn eye, as done by Crumb. Yeah, so I would say that the, like... Floor is is a much more Ravenclaw approach. Like I'm yeah. gonna study, figure something out, um, and you know, see mm-hmm. how like try and get this. Yeah, exactly. Studied, artful, like considered. Uh, crumbs is a lot more 
what's its weak point? Hit it there, quick and hard. Brute Painful force. as hell. Yeah. Repercussions be damned. I mean, repercussions were kind of rough. That dragon crushed its own babies. That's really actually sad. Yeah. And like that's that, a that really man... big omelet. <laughs> Dude, it's a <laughs> mom. Shut up. There. Anyway. Uh, and then the transfigurated dog. It's not the most Hufflepuff way of going around things, but of the options available, it it seems that it's at least in that category. <laughs> yeah. And it worked ish sort of a bit of churn. for a while uh, i so love i also are... love in that in that ron's recounting of um cedric transfiguring the dog is that he's like but then the dragon decided that it was more interested in cedric it would rather mm-hmm. have cedric mm-hmm. that seems like a very like dragon move in the world well the, the problem was a dog should have gone with something bigger lumbering and tastier <laughs> he didn't have enough time to think about it unfair game uh sarah you so perfectly encapsulated the scoring system as being 90s era figure skating it was such a yep I'm even glad you appreciated it. It, it was even the wooden judges. It like, would have been all fine. My my timing none... would have been fine without my joke about ice skating. Uh-huh. <laughs> it wasn't even wasn't it early 2000s with a Canadian? Anyway, I, the, yeah, the, I don't the, know. My the time. French judge getting threatened. No, th- this has been Olympic scoring forever. For me, it was like going back to the Cold War of where the East yeah. German mm-hmm. judge would always knock us down a couple points, kind of yep. thing. Yep. yep. It, it was great. Obviously, he was going to. Obviously, this particular judge was going to be rough. Played out perfectly in that regard. Uh, at, it's fu- also interesting that we never get to see the scores of the other champions. Yeah. Uh, I have a Which... question about that that I'm curious about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and final moment Harry gets his most epic mic drop of the entire damn series. <laughs> Harry doesn't get many like great individual tell-off lines. Doesn't get many of those just kind of flipping his mm-hmm. cloak and wa- and stalking off kind of moments. He had a good one on Rita Skeeter. Kudos, man. Well done. She's gonna write that up. You're gonna be part of her newest article in a way you probably don't want, but at least to a certain degree, it's on your own terms. Yeah, yeah. that quick quotes quill is just scribbling away in the background. His green eyes shining in the sunlight. His hair. <laughs> tossing perfectly in the breeze as he turned his back on us. He marched off with utter heroic fury. And this is surprisingly straight nose. Yes, that too as well. <laughs> um, that's, that's it for me on Newbie's Notes. I liked this chapter. It it, 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 it it took its time in a way that made it impossible for Sarah to make it under two minutes on, but yes. I appreciate that it did. It had some great action moments. It had some great character moments. So, yeah. kudos. The- if, we, if each of the trials is going to be like this, this is going to be a fun damn book. I was going to say this this is where I think we start really feeling like it's a fa- like a, a a classic fantasy book. You know, mm-hmm. earlier mm-hmm. on there was a there was a you know, stories being told, it was very uh British and, you know, sort of a little bit more fairy tale-esque mm-hmm. where, you know, they're just there was a a big bad and it you know we eventually had like the magic thing come out at the end that you know and a little bit of a moral of the story kind of deal whereas this is a, a little bit more like we're getting sort of action a little bit more throughout and a little bit more uh considered unfolding mm-hmm. we're, we're, we've continued and are really starting to make the complete journey of children's fable into more young adult fantasy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but Sarah, um, we have a you know a point scoring system in terms of who wins house cup or whatever else or loses it too that you said had forgotten about in your yeah. sheer stress and dealing with BJ's judging. Um, um, let me bring you back to that. Do you have any thoughts about who won and who lost this chapter? I think we have some possibilities. I think we know who the winner is probably going to be. Yeah, I mean, I think Harry has to be the winner for this one, right? 
He had a good day. Yeah. He had a very um, good day. I'm going to s- submit two losers okay. that we did not actually really see on screen. Okay. Um, Go on. Which are Charlie Weasley, who we did briefly see on screen, and Hagrid. Oh, in terms of coping with dragon crushing eggs? <laughs> yes. That's uh, fair, honestly. <laughs> uh, other than the dragon herself... Yeah, that seems kind of like a fair enough call, maybe. Or yeah. just Balfoy that Harry literally didn't die there in front of an adoring audience. I like that all of these options are just people who we did not see. <laughs> Everybody else had an okay day. They really, I mean, they honestly Madame Pomfrey, did. maybe? Oh, Madame Pomfrey had a real rough day. Oh, uh, that's but true. Did, I, she had a busy day. I have, I have this feeling that Madame Pomfrey likes these days, but likes yeah. to complain mm. about them. That's probably maybe. fair. Yeah, what? I think she enjoys the complaining. the The extent of her kind of riffing on the madness and lunacy of this situation seems mm-hmm. to also be done with a sort of glee. Mm. I, I feel like this is sort of where we see that like the the professors like are really skilled at certain things. Like Snape probably hates making boring potions. Mm-hmm. Madame Prophecy probably really likes dealing with weird stuff that ends up in her infirmary mm-hmm. but has something to say about it. yes Indeed. yes I, I i feel like this character would at least be a runner-up for winner other than the fact he exists in a kind of like a happy stupid state throughout all of his life but bagman probably had a really great damn day i think yes well he first of all he was wearing his quidditch robes again oh yeah mm-hmm. which Hoops among us does not pull out the old sports uniform when uh, big events come around. No, I think in the first chapter we found him in uh, at the Quidditch World Cup that they were like very tight around a Mm -hmm. newly growing Mm -hmm. beer belly. Like this was very clear. Um, but he can get in them, damn it, and so he does. Oh yeah. I mean the robes for robes to be tight is a little. Well, it's like that's that's not a burgeoning beer belly. That's a, a burgeoning beer keg. I suppose mm-hmm. that's I suppose that's true. It also, you know, I don't know. Like Cedric Diggory did not have a great day. Uh, of the sure. yeah, uh, uh, particularly of, of our champions. Of people we actually see, Cedric Diggory did not have a good day. Yeah, he got to find out the last possible second compared to everybody else. There were freaking dragons. He had to invent a plan without any degree of outside assistance that we know about. He got charred to the point he's hidden behind walls until they can heal him enough to show him to an adoring crowd. And even and then, he still kind of looks him. like yeah. shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and he's, and and he like, did. we don't know if he's in third or fourth at this point, but he is not tied for first. I, mm-hmm. I mean, Sarah, if we can transition to questions, could you tell us? Do you know at this point where the point totals are? Because I, I kind of viewed him as last place from what was described. Yeah, I I don't I feel like we find out. Let me see if I can find it real fast. Can we choose an actual loser for the uh, uh, Somebody I, tell I, me who lost Sarah, this chapter. I think, I think that's your that's oh, your bell away. Cedric's a good call. Sarah called Cedric. Cedric works. Okay. I think he okay. he actually well, appeared. We actually I do think that we made that him. at some point. Um Yeah. We made Assumptions that rule off at some screen point. don't count. That, yeah. that's true. Um, so are we going with Harry as winner? Are we, you know, is Bagman just the runner-up? I think Bagman's a runner-up at this point. Okay. Um, He's too happy all the time. The man's never sad. He also didn't get to help Harry cheat, which he was clearly very excited about That's true. 
it's so fun to see a character, a non, a, a relatively minor character, desperately want the limelight in the story every now and then. It's like, this is my opportunity to get a page written on me. Please, let me get in on this. Um, and I am very quickly going, I feel like we got... So f- I know that for the second task, we actually get the point scores. Um, mm-hmm. And then we also get them, the like the overall scores going into the third task. So, so I feel like math. I feel like the math could be done, but I don't have the pages in front of me to know well, gotcha. the math. How about the How about this then? Working just from what knowledge we have, what would y'all assume the current ranking on scores is? Because my, my for me, it's Cedric, Floor, Crumb, Harry. Because we know Crumb, Harry are top two. Yeah, right. Which, yeah, I I agree with that. Um, and then I like the follow up question is. I mean, first of all, why don't they throw out the top and bottom score? But, you know, I guess we don't have quite enough judges for that. But the other thing is, what do you think Crumb's scores were? And what do you you think everybody's scores were? Because presumably, you know, Harry's getting fairly top marks and got a 10 just because we knew that there was going to be the four. Yeah. I mean, I would assume that Crumb probably got like straight eights or something like that mm. it seems like a keep and this is going to factor into my next question about how the scoring works but from what little we saw it seemed like one of the biggest criteria for how many points you get is how fast you did it in mm-hmm. is that from what we heard Cedric took a while like his took a while to get done Floors took yeah. a while we had a lot of commentary yeah. from Bagman Chrome just waltzed up and shot the damn thing in the eye and it went down so he got through it quick but lost points for you know coarseness and execution mm-hmm. I think but, yeah I think that's right do, do we get any exact rules for how the uh, scoring system works or is it pretty much like so much of the scoring at Hogwarts entirely judge arbitrary it's pretty judge arbitrary which becomes like much clearer in all honesty when we get more details about the scoring in the second task because gotcha. there's some, some like still goes with a four <laughs> there's some specific controversy in that task that requires more mm. explanation of how the scoring actually works. Um, gotcha. So we do get more there. We might find out where everyone is actually ranked after the first task at some point. I don't, I just don't remember. Okay, no worries. Um, quite honestly. Okay. We'll either read it or not, and then you'll have to summarize it. Sure. All good. <laughs> BJ, no, you have a let's find it now so we don't have to put it in a summary. <laughs> mm. Um... I've got one more, but if you have one, go on ahead. Yeah, go for it. Last one for me is with respect to how this next task is apparently being set up. Mm-hmm. In the sense that there is a a bit of a, a lock you have to unlock before you can even really get started with the task. Is there any way by which a person... From what we've heard, a person can't bow out of the tournament. They're bound to participate. Mm-hmm. But at this point, if you can't solve that task, you can't really go forward. Do you th- do you forfeit, or do you just get a zero for that round and you move on to the next task? I think you get a zero for that round. Um, okay. Because you oh, can't I, get out of it. I guess I read it as more of like a, here's something that's going to help you with yes. this next task, as opposed to, you need to do this for the next task. Yeah, I mean, I think that like without... Without spoiling too much, I think that you're like 90% right, BJ. But I will say that the nature of the next task is such that like you're... It's pretty essential. I, it would be a big ask. Yeah. If you didn't have some time for some advanced preparation. But we are in Triwizard Tournament land, so they can't just tell you what the next task is. Yeah. 
the the full line here, I think, BJ, I think you're absolutely right about your interpretation now reading the line again. You need to solve the clue inside the egg because it will tell you what the second task is and enable you to prepare for it. Mm-hmm. So, perfectly fair, but Sarah, as you say now, this seems like the kind of preparation that the fact they're even giving you a clue in advance for this one says you can't succeed without it. I mean, they, they didn't give dragons. you a clue for dragons, so... Yeah. Right. Um, if stealing a dragon's egg apparently merits no adi- no prior notice, what dear God is this second task? Yeah. Two dragons. Um, okay. So we've <laughs> talked a bit about the Triwizard Tournament and that it hasn't happened for a little while. Hundreds of years, yes. How is everybody so knowledgeable about like everything about it except the reader and everybody else participating um, that, that oh, it's well known that everybody cheats during the Triwizard Tournament that hasn't happened for a couple hundred years. It like, okay. I mean, maybe it's kind of like the Olympic Games that everybody kind of knew about mm-hmm. for a while. But I think the, the details as to traditions surrounding it were largely made up when... Yeah. This, this might just be made up on the fly. <laughs> or it might be a sort of natural outgrowth of what Mr. Weasley was saying at the Quidditch World Cup, which is just the idea that when wizards get together en masse, they can't help mm. themselves sometimes. Mm. Mm. Gotcha. Right. You, sorry, you just gave me a bit of a, a fun house theory that Moody's just straight up lying here, but he's using it to justify helping Harry cheat. <laughs> He has no knowledge. He has no frame of reference to know whether cheating is standard. Just like, I'm going to give you a cookie, and so it'll convince you it's okay what we're doing right now. Yeah, and and like separately, Madame Maxime and Karkaroff are doing the same thing. <laughs> is I mean, against I the also... rules? No, 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 no. I was going to say, I also imagine that Dumbledore has some of this knowledge and has talked to people about this. Maybe the sorting so, hat told him. Oh, oh, yes. The sorting hat was probably there. Yeah, it's um, a fun amongst, call. You know, All right, and, here we go. And the Here's phoenix the and everything else. <laughs> but And so he was talking to Moody and it's just like, well, they always used to cheat, but like, I'm not going to do that this time around. Moody's like, well, God damn it. Now I have to. <laughs> Heard you loud and clear, Dumbledore. Be back in a minute. <laughs> now, my other favorite house theory of this is that literally everyone else in the story actually reads but Harry. Like, there's just totally a book on this. All the information's there. They published a pamphlet that had all the information in it for the tournament. But Harry just can't be bothered to actually do the homework and read it in advance. So it's not that the knowledge isn't out there. It's that we are literally being denied it because our perspective is a guy that can't be bothered to do the, to do the legwork. This is further cementing the fact that he is a jock mm. and a bully. I don't know how that contributes to him being a bully. Well, just evidence in the chapter is the bully part. The jock, this is, this is more the jock part. Got it. So if there are no more questions. Um, I'm good. We, just quibbles and qualms. Um, we can... I'm not entertaining here, so we'll just move right on. Our next chapter is chapter 21, the House Elf Liberation Front. Wait, what? 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 So what? it's getting to be a little bit more uh, terroristy. Well, we, we've got a rebranding, potentially. Why with that title? Is it just them standing in front of a bowl of fruit? I believe that's a painting of fruit, Spencer. My statement was literally accurate. <laughs> well, Your statement ish. was artistically I mean, accurate. There is a bowl of fruit that is behind them on this page. That does not seem to any way indicate what the next chapter is. Is that the only way that you can get a still life painting? <laughs> it's just fruit. 
Uh, no, because the 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 painting can jump between paintings. So clearly, the the the, uh, the, the what's it, what's his what's the name of that again? Sir Patrick. It's surprising, surprisingly unneeded. Sir, <laughs> yeah, Sir Madigan. Sir Cadigan. Mm. Thank Sir you. Cadigan. Um, well. Okay. Well, this has been fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward very much to the next chapter. I'm curious to see who the Patty Hearst of this chapter is going to be. And yeah, till next time, y'all. Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs>